Well, good morning again. It is a real privilege and pleasure to be able to share with you as part of your series that you've um, been in recently of releasing and specifically to speak on the topic of releasing the prophetic as you journey through the book of Acts. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Stuart. It's a real privilege and honour to be invited. You've trusted me with your platform and your family, <laughs> which is no small thing. And so thank you so much. I count it a real honour. I've already introduced um, ourselves quickly, but I just wanted to quickly um, introduce myself a little bit more. So uh, this is our family. You will recognise a few members of it. <laughs> and the man in the middle is Oscar, my husband. And he is holding Olivia, who you know very well. And um, he is my greatest gift after Jesus. I love him. He is uh, my helper and my strength. And I'm so grateful to God. We serve at Coventry Elam. He serves um, full-time as their digital director. And I work in uh, education development. And it is our pleasure um, to be with you. He's leading worship there this morning, so he's not with me. But I have... Tofumi with me, who has introduced herself, and she's one of our worship leaders and has an incredible prophetic anointing upon her life. She is also a member of our prophetic team. And she was telling me a story on the car down that just on Friday, she is a social worker in her day job, and she looks after many youth who are in social services. And she was invited to sing at a ceremony as the older ones graduated. And she felt prompted to sing uh, the goodness of God. And she said to her boss, can I sing the goodness of God? I'm a gospel artist, I'm a Christian. And he said, yes. And in front of a room full of social workers and young people, she sang prophetically a song of the goodness of God. And they were moved to tears because the spirit moved. And so it's my pleasure to have her with me. It's my pleasure to have Hannah. Hannah is a friend and co-teammate. We serve on the Hanson Dorset Christian Youth Camps. If your children and youth don't go to them, sign them up. It was the most formative part of my growing up spiritually in my teens. And they are a beautiful space for children to grow and youth to grow in Jesus. And Hannah has a sweet, tender spirit and a praying spirit with her prophetic gift. And a couple of weeks ago, she called me and she said, well, she sent me a voice note. And she said to me, Kirsten, I've been praying for you and I have a word. And she shared it with me. And it was spot on for something I'd been wrestling with that week. And as she spoke that word, it settled my spirit. And I knew that God had it under control. And that is the gift of releasing the prophetic, those two examples, into our midst. And the beauty that is prophets, we prophesy in company, not as individuals. So I don't know if you've ever been privy to a blind date. Have you ever been set up on a blind date or been like, no? Um, I had some few tries. Um, I won't tell you, they never worked out, and it was a bit of a roller coaster. But I don't know if you recognize this man. Anyone know the TV show? <laughs> well done. So it's one from one of the many dating shows that is on our screens at this time. 
And um, I, in all disclosure and honesty, I've only watched like five to 10 minute clips on YouTube. So this is not an endorsement of the show, <laughs> but I'm sure it is very entertaining. But what I do know about it is that this gentleman welcomes a guest for a date that has been set up, an appointment at the restaurant where he is the host. The other guest is at the table, he welcomes them in, and then they go to this bar behind him and they order their drink of Dutch courage. <laughs> and having picked up their Dutch courage, they make their way to the table for their first date. Now, they have been matched up, they have been set up, they have been dressed up, they have been filled up <laughs> with a drink. But it's ultimately up to them when they sit down at that table, who shows up. And who shows up at that table determines whether there's another date, determines how fun that particular date is. Who shows up and is present in that moment determines the future of that relationship. And I'd like to suggest that's not very dissimilar to the opportunity we have when we release the prophetic. Bear with me. <laughs> the release of the prophetic is a process and a partnership. Can you just turn to the person next to you and say process and partnership? Thank you for very kindly going with me. <laughs> so process and partnership, because the prophetic that we see released in Acts 4 doesn't start in Acts 4. The prophetic is a process and a journey that's already started much earlier in Acts. And specifically today in Acts 3. Last Sunday, Will did an excellent job of unpacking Acts 3 for us and helping us to see the scene that is being set for us. He helped us to understand that in that moment when Peter and John walked through the temple and they healed the crippled man, this was no ordinary day because they had walked past this crippled man many times before on their daily walk to prayer. But this time, he helped us to understand that there was a prophetic word or a voice that was heard that released in that moment the touch of heaven for this man. So on this day, something different happened. But why this day? What was different? Well, Peter and John had spent three years with Jesus, and so they had watched Jesus heal the sick, perform miracles, give words, but they also knew he didn't do it every time, right? He had walked past the same temple gate only a month or so earlier and hadn't healed this crippled man. Because they had learned in their time with Jesus that Jesus was only ever about the Father's he was consistently seeking to be obedient to what was on the Father's agenda, not just to grab any moment, not just to put on a show. He was about the Father's business. And we see that in Luke 2, 49 with his parents. We also see it in John 5. He says, Verily, very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. 
For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Peter and John had learned what it was to walk in obedience to the Father and to only do what they saw their Father doing, and knowing it was in that moment that they spoke. Mike Bickle actually suggests that this is Jesus' model for prophecy, that actually being about the Father's business continually through the day and just saying, Father, what are you doing? What's on your agenda? What's on your heart? That is prophecy. And when we ask that question, that is when we start to release the spirit of prophecy. And this is what Peter had learned. And he heard from the Father on this day, and heaven released freedom, and it released healing, and it released hope and a great miracle. But he was also setting up the early church. He wasn't just setting up this crippled man. He was setting up the early church with this miracle to say, look what my God can do. And he was also setting up the the early church for power, authority, and growth to be called up before the Sanhedrin and given account, which we're going to read about in a minute. And so this was a divine setup. And understanding the Father's heart and heaven's agenda for a given moment or a given interaction is how we release the prophetic, because he's part of a bigger story and a bigger process, and he knows in each moment his divine appointments. And so as we enter the story in Acts 4, we've had this divine setup for the Father. He, he set Peter and John up and the early church up, and they're called before the elders. And we're going to pick it up here in Acts 4, and you can follow it on the screen, or if you have a device, turn it on, or an old Bible, I like a good old Bible that I can open up and write in, Um, then open one of those up. And we're going to read from verse 5. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power and what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today or for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus, Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we can be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, uneducated, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. And so here, as we enter the story in Acts 4, we read that following the divine setup by the Father, 
this, and this incredible miracle that Peter and John are pulled before Caiaphas, Annas, and the other Jewish leaders and elders to be questioned. The same ones who only a few months earlier had called Jesus to them to give an account, and he had ended up crucified. But this time, Peter doesn't run, he doesn't deny, and he doesn't hide. Instead, he stands. And as he stands, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. Stuart spoke superbly a few weeks ago about being filled by the Spirit and having our devices fully charged to make sure they don't run out of battery. We all need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we think back to the first date's photo at the start, they went in and they picked up their drink of Dutch courage, which isn't very dissimilar. You know, they maybe didn't, Peter was maybe not picking up a whiskey or a G&T or a full-bodied red wine, but he was picking up Dutch courage as he was being filled by the Holy Spirit, one who was far more significant the divine helper. And we need the divine helper to navigate these divine moments to be able to lean in to what God is doing. Our dependency on the Holy Spirit is our honor, not our shame. We live in a world where you are to be more independent. The more independent you are, the better you are, the more mature you are. The Bible teaches us that the more dependent we are, the more mature we are, and the more in tune we are. And we are called and invited into an incredible dependency into the Holy Spirit. Because as we lean into him, that is how we release the prophetic, and we release heaven on earth. Even when the stakes are really high. Even in a room of social workers and young adults who don't know Jesus even before a council who are about to make a judgment on you. And so how, how might we do that? How might we live filled by the Spirit? I'm going to quickly share a couple of things. And they come from this quote. Oh, where are we? Here we go. Um, from Mike Bickle. And he says, We put up our spiritual sail by asking the Holy Spirit the question about which he is saying or doing. In other words, we get into watchful mode. When I hear impressions and act on them, then the Spirit's power is released. Many stay in the passive mode by not asking for the Holy Spirit's activity on their heart. One reason that believers neglect to prophesy is because it takes love and spiritual vigor to prophesy on a regular basis. This includes sustaining attentiveness to the Holy Spirit to receive small impressions. To be attentive implies refusing the indulgence of anxiety and self-pity that cause so much emotional traffic in us. I love this quote because it helps us to understand a couple of things. One, we were filled with the Spirit when we ask and we put up our sail and we're in watchful mode. And we do that, one, by just daily asking and moment by moment, one of my daily prayers is Holy Spirit, I put you on like a glove. Fill me afresh today. 
Another way, if you have the gift of tongues, is to pray in tongues. That stirs up and fills up the spirit within us. I have a dear friend who um, is a very gifted prophet, and she sets herself challenges. She extends the time, and she goes from five minutes to ten minutes to thirty minutes of praying in tongues straight to stir up and to strengthen the spirit within her. She challenges me to set new targets too. And we can start at one minute. It's not the 30 minutes is the goal. The time is not the goal. The increase and the growth is the goal. And another really practical tip. On my password at work, on my work laptop, I choose passwords that will help remind me to be filled with the Spirit, to breathe in. So I can give you this one because I don't use it anymore. (laughs) But it's breath and then a number. And every time I type breath into my laptop in the middle of a busy, stressful work day, I have to say, Holy Spirit, breathe on me again. Holy Spirit, I take a breath of you again. Very practical. And then secondly, we refuse to be distracted by the things that are opposite to the Spirit of the Holy Spirit. Right? Fear and anxiety, we all feel them. We are human. But if we sit down in them, the Holy Spirit gets stuck with what he can work with. (laughs) Self-pity, when we get caught up in ourselves, means that we can't listen to someone else because we're so busy listening to the emotional traffic in us, in our mind, in our emotions. And so it's really helpful to just silence those other voices and say, Holy Spirit, I silence the voice of fear. I silence the voice of self-pity. I refuse to indulge it. Will you speak to me? Because he can't be heard over louder voices. And the thing that's often forgotten about it with the Holy Spirit is he is a gentle dove. So he's not going to shout at you. But we have a choice to be able to allow him space for that subtle impression. And unforgiveness, I just, is another one. He can't dwell with unforgiveness. Not because he judges us, not because he's mad with us, but because he walks in forgiveness. And so Holy Spirit and cannot come to unforgiveness because they do not dwell together. And so we walk in the fruit of the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can dwell and we can sense his impressions. And we walk in the truths of what he tells us. And so releasing the prophetic voice of God requires us to be about our father's business, to be keen and alert to the divine setup. And it requires us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, with our sails up and watchful for the divine help. So that, and what we see Peter do here, when he's asked this question, By what power and what name did you do this? He answers, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Because with sensitivity and with courage, in that moment, Peter releases the testimony of Jesus. Peter demonstrates for us here that when we partner with Father and Holy Spirit in a process to release the prophetic, 
we release the testimony of Jesus, the divine word. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19.10 tells us this. So the whole gift of prophecy is simply the, to release the testimony of Jesus. When we have a divine set up by the Father, a divine fill up with our divine help, we release the divine word, the living word of God. And he brings forth in a moment the very essence and presence of Jesus. And that is what excites me about the gift of the prophetic, to have the incredible privilege and honor of releasing the essence of Jesus into someone's life, into someone's situation, and into a moment. I think this is why Paul encourages us in 1 Corinthians 14 to say, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. Because he knew the gift of prophecy released the testimony of Jesus. And there is nothing better the church can offer the world than the testimony of Jesus. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is the hope of the world. And so we have this invitation to do that. And when we do, we see that it leaves the elders and leaders speechless, astonished and dumbfounded. And with the impression that Peter and John had been with Jesus. And that is the gift of releasing the prophetic into people's lives and into the world around us. Is we release the presence of Jesus and the promise that we can be with Jesus. And so coming into land here, the fragrance of Jesus is the test and spirit of true prophecy. And how do we do that? How do we release the testimony of Jesus? First, it's another simple prayer. I love the prayer of John the Baptist. Sorry, I lost track of my slides. He says this prayer. He must increase. Jesus must increase. I must decrease. This is another one of my morning prayers 80% of the time. I must decrease. Jesus, you must increase in me. Because the less there is of me, the more there is of him. And that is what I want to release to the world around me. And then the second is to develop a culture of honor. The spirit of prophecy does not thrive where there is competition, where there is comparison, where there is criticism, where there is putting people down. The, the spirit of prophecy thrives in a culture of honor. Bill Johnson says this, the way we receive people, acknowledge who they are and the gifts they have also determines the deposit they will be able to make into our lives. A culture of honor celebrates who a person is without stumbling over who they are not. And I love this 
that when we outdo each other in honor, when we give weight to one another, when we celebrate one another, that is where Jesus thrives. And that is where the spirit of prophecy grows. And we know this even from Jesus himself. Where could he not do any works? Nazareth. Why? Because he was not honored. And so even Jesus could not release prophetic, a prophetic move in his hometown because he did not receive honor. How much more so if we are going to release the prophetic in our midst that we honor one another and those in our world? And so maybe the band could join me as I just close out. I want us to think back to that picture of that first date. And I want us to imagine that we are sat down at a table. There is a divine setup by the Father. He set up an appointment as part of his great story. We've been filled up with the Holy Spirit, our divine help. And we have an opportunity at this table to bear witness to Jesus, to release at this table the testimony of Jesus. Because I want the person sitting across from me at the table to be able to say, you have been with Jesus. I want to be with Jesus. And we have this incredible opportunity to sit down at a table and invite people to be with Jesus. That might be singing a song in a room. It might not be declaring a big word in front of a big council. It might be singing a word over a room. It might be in the gym a couple of weeks ago. I was in the gym working out on my mat. And I was at the mirror in front of me. And I saw a girl passed behind me. And I just felt Jesus say, She's beautiful. She's so beautiful. And I finished stretching out and I went over to her and I said, this may sound strange to you. This may sound odd. But I believe in Jesus and I believe he speaks. And I believe he has something to say to you today. It's up to you what you do with this. But Jesus says you're beautiful. He wants you to know you're beautiful. What a privilege to invite her in that moment to be with Jesus. And there's another prophet who I learn and am challenged by daily in the supermarket. She walks up to her till doing her weekly shop and she hears Jesus say, this girl's going to be a good mother. The girl behind the cash desk. And she says, do I tell her? Turns to her and says, I don't know. Believe in Jesus, and I believe He wants to speak to you. Jesus says you're going to be a good mother. She bursts into tears. How did you know? I'm pregnant. She was a young woman, not very old. 
No one else knows I'm pregnant, not even my boyfriend. I have hidden it because I'm too scared to be a mother. And I booked myself an abortion. I'm not making any comments on abortion today. But what happened, she had prayed that morning and she had said, God, if you are real and if you exist, tell me today that I need to keep this baby and not go through with this abortion. Because she didn't actually want to do it. End of the story, she cancels her abortion. She has a baby. She finds Jesus. And she joins their church. That's the power of releasing the prophetic.